Hi, everyone. Welcome to our 13th episode of Pot Dip Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Williams. And I'm your host, Clara. So uh, we actually have a bunch of cool news since we last recorded. Um, on my front, I went to my first dance class in a year and a half. Whoa. I hate <laughs> to even admit that. It was awesome. I went to Peter Shabel, Shabel's class at Perry Dance, mm -hmm. which traditionally has not been my favorite. I think just because it's advanced beginning and... Um, I like really energetic instructors, but it was great because I really needed that slow pace and just the oh, uh, the way he talks through everything. So I think I'll keep going um, to that good. one. I haven't been since. That was a couple weeks ago, even though I blocked it off on my calendar, which is the key, because I, I, I can't even say I hurt my toe. My toe just started to hurt after class. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, with ballet, man, you just discover the weirdest body parts that can begin to... <laughs> throw off your whole life it's like the left side of my big right toenail is like bothering me so much that I couldn't go back to class I hate those weird body parts it's ridiculous but anyway I'm over it now so I'll be back pretty soon so that's my big news and then uh we were at the Bessie Awards on Monday like high rollers we were it was so mm -hmm. exciting mm-hmm what can we say about that? I feel like you can say better things because you're more informed about the dance world. Well, I have nothing informed to say, but <laughs> I was just so excited to see how the dance community is truly supporting itself and rewarding people who are so committed to the field and organizations like Movement Research. Uh, there were it's so many big. moments where I just, it's so cheesy, I wanted to cry, you know, when people were honoring those who have left the dance community and um, those who have touched lives and it was just a really touching evening so exciting did you know a lot of the names like even in the in memoriam and other people who went up yeah, yeah. oh you mean the names of those who have died and the still living who were with us oh. that <laughs> <night>. <laughs> um yeah for the most part i recognized pretty much everyone except okay. for the one Japanese artists. Okay. Um, that was new to me. And then there was another performance at the Asia Society that I wasn't familiar with. Okay. That's kind of my goal. And part of the goal, obviously, of the podcast for me is to get to know the people, the dance makers involved in the world better so mm -hmm. I can be more informed. But it was a really fun evening. There were a couple people um, I recognized. I gave my our pot de a card to Robbie Fairchild and Tyler Peck at the beginning, as we saw. <laughs> a little nerd. I was like, hey, hey, I love you guys. Here's our card. <laughs> I think that's the summary of how it came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, passing out that card all over the place. So, you know, maybe uh, someday when we're, we're really big, Misty Copeland's manager, for example, whom I also gave our card to after I saw her documentary, will just find this shriveled up piece of paper in the bottom of her purse and be like, Oh my God! I have access to these stars, so that's the hope. Yeah. But for now, they just have the cards sitting in their purse. Um, mm -hmm. I saw the documentary, by the way, uh, last week. What was it called? I can't remember what it's called. It was fun. I get um, a look at Misty's life more closely. Oh my gosh, I can't remember what I'm it's called. Either. On the name. A dancer's tale? Yeah, something like that. Okay. And it was cool because she was there along with uh, Raven. Uh, I always forget her last name, uh, the the older dancer, um, a black lady who'd been the first, uh, well, she was a dancer with a, with Ballet Russe. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were both there afterwards, and of course I kind of inched up to Misty's manager. was like, hey, we have a podcast, so yeah. we'll see. But and yeah. so the film was interesting. It was just sort of a, 
a tale about her life or... It was about her life. And I thought it was interesting because I did feel like I got a better sense of who she was and just the structure of how things evolved for her. That's great. So I was actually really surprised at the Bessies to see that ballet was so well represented. It was. Yeah, I was surprised too. Yeah, it was. I've never been to the Bessies before, and I always had this idea that it was only for the downtown dance community, but there was a lot of representation for New York City Ballet, a Mm -hmm. New York City ballet dancer, principal dancer Amar um, won, I believe it was best performer or best performer with sustained performance. And Um, he was emotional about it. I was surprised. mm -hmm. I think because, to me, a dancer on that level is so great and such a star and they know it but he was really grateful to have won this award yes very humble very humble yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that was very touching to see Mm -hmm. and i was also surprised to see that american ballet theater's revival of sleeping beauty won best revival i think it was the Mm -hmm. only nominee in that category so of course it won but it was really cool to see that the bessies had recognized it and it really was a great production was this for Oh, I guess it was for 2014 then. That makes sense. Because I think the... Oh, it was this past year. So it was in the spring season of 2015. Oh. Because New York City Ballet's Swan Lake that I just saw, I think was a revival of sorts of the Peter Martins version. Unless they've done it since mm-hmm. he originated it. And I didn't well, know. maybe they'll be nominated next year. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. So... I have been really enjoying the fall performance season, big surprise. Woo. And there were a few noteworthy performances I saw recently. A couple of weeks ago, I saw Miguel Gutierrez perform his Age and Beauty series. And there were three parts, and I only got to see the first part. And I really wish that I could have seen the other two because I love the first one so much. For the first time in years, I'm not kidding, I did not want to leave the theater. I don't remember the last time an artist made me feel that way. Right. And part of the reason is Miguel is known for playing with the conventions of traditional performance. So in this particular piece, he was actually singing in a microphone and screaming like a rock star with music playing. And he was a total diva rock star. And then while he was singing, he was saying, you can leave now. The performance is over. And so there was this moment of confusion in the audience where we were looking around at each other and didn't know, okay, this is unusual. We're supposed to leave while the performance is still happening. <laughs> but I, also... I can picture the discomfort. How the little, like the, the well-trained dance audience is yes. all aghast and doesn't know what to do. <laughs> like you didn't even bow and you want to leave. <laughs> and but at the same time, it was just very joyful. The whole performance was just really special. It was him in a bright pink floral bathing suit. (laughs) (laughs) I love it already. And he had a much younger dancer, totally different build than him. The other dancer was very tall, lanky, and skinny, Hmm. and looked a little demure. Hmm. Um, And he was definitely playing with some ideas of um, aging, and perhaps this other dancer was a version of himself at a younger age. And there was a moment where they had... I would say a more tense exchange where they were kind of like playfully hitting each other (laughs) and dancing with each other. Mm. Um, But it was really just a beautiful, amazing piece. And I just wish I could have seen the other two. And was it over when he was yelling at you to leave? Was that the end? It was. People slowly trickled out of the theater. And I 
slowly left also and didn't want to leave. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I know that Sarah went to one with you that sounded really intriguing. She described it as sort of steampunk inspired. I can't remember what one that was. What was that? Yes, that was James Thierry's Tabac Rouge. Tabac Rouge, that's right. Yeah, and that was performed at BAM. And that was really interesting because it was kind of circus-like, and I guess mm. this individual has presented more circus-like performances in the past. And this apparently was different from his previous work. It was less circus-like, but it's interesting that I pointed that out as an aesthetic to his work. And it's all physical theater. It's just gestures and performance, which looks like dance, a lot of over-exaggerated moves, and hmm. just sort of acting out the storyline, but without words whatsoever. And he kind of presented this post-apocalyptic environment um, with a really cool set design and he was sort of the puppet master to his tyrants who just kind of went around acting all tyranty (laughs) or whatever they do and it was very surreal and fantastical and magical and it was just a real pure visual delight it was just really cool to see see now I'm extra disappointed I missed that one Sounds so cool. And I feel like I also have to give a shout out, just because it was so big, to Wayne McGregor's Tree of Codes, which I saw Mm. at the Park Avenue Armory. It was the best collaboration I've ever seen between a choreographer, a sound designer, and a visual designer. Um, He collaborated with Jamie XX, who is better known for more wide-release electronic music, Jamie XX killed it. I could not believe how ambitious his score was, and he really Mm. reached outside of himself. Um, It's something he would never produce or release, like, on his regular electronic music label, but it was so cool to see him or see his music in this context. Wow. And the visual design was truly amazing. There was a mirror in the back of the stage, so the audience could see themselves watching themselves while they're watching the dance performance and there are a lot of cool moments like that where you're sort of looking at and through the performance all at the same time surprised the dancers didn't stare stare in the mirror the whole time Mm -hmm. (laughs) in studios they're always talking about you know when you're in a dance class they're like dancers stop staring at yourselves in the mirror because you get so in the habit of doing that um and yeah just being in the park avenue armory i'm sure was a crazy place to see a show that place is huge never been anywhere bigger like an indoor space that big Mm -hmm. so interesting very cool well should we give some info about our guest yes so today we have the honor of chatting with choreographer Heidi Latsky founder of Heidi Latsky Dance as well as one of her dancers Jeron Herman who has been dancing with Heidi Latsky Dance for three years and more recently He has moved into the position of associate to the artistic director. Heidi Latsky Dance, a New York City-based dance company launched in 2001, is dedicated to redefining beauty through performance, discourse, and educational activity, using performers with unique attributes to bring rigorous, passionate, and provocative contemporary dance to diverse audiences. In this case, unique attributes refers not only to the individuality of the dancers with whom she works, but to the fact that some of them have disabilities. 
Heidi Latsky herself is originally from Montreal and first received recognition dancing for the Bill T. Jones Arnie Zane Dance Company. Latsky then eventually went on to head the movement department at the School for Film and Television, and she's currently on the faculty of STEPS NYC. Latsky's also a renowned advocate for diversity in the arts as a speaker, and she's a founding member of Dance NYC's Disability and NYC Dance Task Force. Thanks for the intro, Jess, and uh, welcome to both of our guests, Jerron and Heidi. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, guys. We're excited to have you. Good to and, be here. And uh, first time having four of us in the room. So okay. thanks for our special guest, Jerron, mm. coming along with Heidi. Thanks for having me. So let's start from the beginning. Heidi, how did you first get into dance, and what style of dance training did you have before? Well, I have kind of a, an unusual history in that I will say that when I was very, very young, my mother put me into creative dance classes, and I remember, I do remember this, I think I was six, and the woman decided to have a performance and called about the nightingale, and she made me the nightingale, mm. and I faked sick. I don't think <gasps> I faked sick, I actually felt sick. Mm. You got so scared. And that's how shy I was, and I was extremely shy. So after that experience, I never went back to a dance class mm. until when I was in college. Um, I was studying psychology, and a very good friend of mine was a fabulous disco dancer, and disco was the rage. And so we would go, he brought me to the clubs, and we danced together, and then we started competing. And because I was so shy, I would just stare at him, and of course, the more I stared at him, everybody thought, oh, they're so in love, and <laughs> look how beautifully they danced together, and it was sexy, wow. and we kept, wit. we started winning, um, wow. and I felt, I just fell in love with dancing. I, I, I just wanted to go all the time, so when I graduated, and I was pretty young when I graduated, I was only 19, mm -hmm. I decided to take a year off before I went for my master's, and be athletic. And I ended up getting very uh, involved in dance. And my dream was to be a ballet dancer, but I went to the ballet school in Montreal, where I'm from, and I lied about my age. I said, I'm 16. And they said, no, 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 you can't start. You're too old at 16. Mm. Um, so I got discouraged, but I, and I thought, okay, maybe I'll be a commercial dancer. So I went to lay ballet jazz and mm. started taking jazz classes, and I was horrible. <laughs> but somehow, there was also a very small jazz studio in Montreal, and when I went there, they brought me with them to Club Med. And I'm sure we were horrible, but I performed mm -hmm. for the first time. And I was terrified, but I did it. And it gave me this, I'd taken that risk, I'd, I'd gotten through it, and so I got I decided to apply to some universities, like to some programs, to see if I could get dance training maybe in a university setting. And that's how I started doing modern dance. Okay. Um, so it's a very, my first love or what I really wanted to do was ballet. And I mm -hmm. did train in ballet because I felt that was the most, the most beneficial to my body. Like really simple mm -hmm. ballet classes. Because what I also discovered was I had ligamentous laxity. 
And I didn't understand what that was, but it means that like all my joints are hypermobile and that's really good for dancers for their line but it's really hard on your body it, you have no strength oh yeah no strength right so i i and i didn't know that when i first started dancing so i was trying to whack my leg and i could but i was getting injured all the time so my training was a constant retraining constant retraining because i kept yeah. getting injured i'd have to figure out well why why did I do that? What can I do to rectify it? And yeah. so, and I'm still doing that, actually. Mm -hmm. Did that happen even with the disco? Which, by the way, I love. I love that you started in disco. Jessica, I know, loves it more. Yes. <laughs> disco obsession You love here. disco, too? I was born in the wrong decade. <laughs> you were. It was my decade. Yeah. <laughs> it was a blast. It's amazing. So, no, I did not get hurt. Okay, so that one was because not so intense. Because... I wasn't trying to push my body to do anything that it wasn't didn't want to. You know, it's like yeah. it, it was different too. You know, that's so interesting that you asked me that question, because I think dance is very psychological, mm -hmm. right? And I, I was always with my partner, so mm. I always had his support. And I'll never forget when I was in Bill T. Jones's company, we did an improvisational performance at PS122. Mm -hmm. And he, he intimidated me, right? So like, mm -hmm. And I don't do improv. So, you know, other members of the company would go on stage. They went on stage and they danced with him and then they left. And then it was my turn. And I remember saying to my boyfriend at the time, I'm really scared. What do I do? And my boyfriend said, you're as strong as he is, Heidi. You're as strong as he is. So I got, I went, I was going, I'm as strong as Bill is. And I went on stage and he got into a handstand and I pushed his legs down. And then I went over to another place and I went into a handstand and he came and he pushed my legs down. We kept going back and forth with his handstand. And then I got into a handstand and I was waiting for him to push my legs. Hmm. He didn't. And oh, I stayed in, now I can never hold a handstand. Yeah, I can But either. because I thought he was coming over, mm. I nailed it. I was just oh, waiting yeah. for him. Wow. And so it, it like the, your question about disco, I wonder, and I, it's probably true, mm -hmm. that there was a part of me that felt more secure and more strong with that kind of support. You know, knowing that Bill was going to come and throw my legs down or take my legs. I didn't have to worry so much about nailing it. Absolutely. I wasn't concerned about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and there's so much. I mean, what you said that you think dance is psychological, that's huge. And uh, sometimes I think people need to take that into account more with training, because uh, you can really intimidate a student if you're yelling at them or something, and it becomes almost impossible to do the movement. Mm -hmm. right. um, but I wonder if it also, is unique to shy people to some extent. I know I was always shy, and improv terrified me. Mm -hmm. I had the same thought of, like, what would I do? Um, so did you get over that at some point? Do you think you worked through that fear of improv by doing it? Yeah. I mean, I had, impro I had improvised before mm -hmm. without any kind of training. And again, I learned as I did it. So one of my first performances in Canada was with one of, like, the best improvisers in Canada and me. Oh. oh, wow. I don't know how I got in there. And yeah. I'll never forget 
that this one guy, Peter Bingham, he, I was dancing so hard and so fast, I didn't know that you could just stop. <laughs> I just kept, that he felt like he had to be completely still to hold the space for me because he didn't, he, that was, he was very lovely. He didn't come up to me or whisper to me like, you know, you, you don't have to keep dancing. Mm -hmm. You can mm -hmm. slow down or right. stop. So he, I'll never forget this. He sat in the middle of the stage and I was just like flitting all over the place. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I learned as I did it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still not, it's not my choice to improvise. Okay. I don't mind it. Okay. I don't mind it. I actually like it sometimes, but mm -hmm. mostly like when I choreographed, it's not from improvisation. Okay. Ah, kind of like I will do something and I go, ooh, that felt good. And then I'll repeat it and then I'll build on it. But it's not like I just start improvising and then look at what I did. So, right. so it never mm. became a modality that I used a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like that model. It seems more deliberate. Yeah. I think so many people just flail about and record it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting because improv is how I got introduced to dance and like how oh, true. like so for me it's so interesting because I um, I <laughs> the lack of technique that I had or not having technique allowed me to to half upon technique or half upon part of the vocabulary so if I were to do something that later I would learn, oh, that's a tondu, or later I would learn mm -hmm. that's an arabesque, or later I would learn. So improv actually was a wonderful introduction to, but then knowing that, yes, structure does always have to come into play. So. Yeah. And was it not intimidating for you when you started and did improv? It, you weren't afraid? It wasn't, and oh, I, I, don't know, I don't know, I, I don't know why. I, I think that improv, I think there was probably at that time that I was, asked to dance or invited to dance there was there was no expectation i guess and so that's, that's key. the yeah that's really Psychological. key yeah mm -hmm. and so with no with nothing to fail at or nothing to really go to except for boundless mm -hmm. choreography boundless and, and yeah that's so you because another person would come into the situation where you know, you're surrounded by very technical dancers mm -hmm. and be completely intimidated mm -hmm. totally mm -hmm. like what can i do oh that true they, look what they can do right. i can't do that right and you did you never did that mm. You never did that, yeah. um, you must which be a, was really remarkable. <laughs> you must be a free spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I yes, I am. I've always, I've never I've never had a compulsion to restrict myself because of what I can't do, and I think that yeah. that's always been a really big tenet in my life by being a person with disability. But also, you know, I grew up in a in a very faith-based family that said that, you know, you can do things, you can be here, you, you go beyond what you see, uh, that's, that's, part of, that's part of a tenet, a pillar huh. of my life, that you have to look beyond most of, most of the time. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's incredible because I've been talk, thinking about, I'm, I'm writing a speech right now for next week, and Ooh. I started writing about the obstacles. I started talking about the first person with a disability that I worked with and how I saw in her mm -hmm. this unexpected magic mm. and realized that it, it, a lot of people wouldn't see that, but to actually recognize it and nurture it 
was something that needed to happen in order to 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 dis for other people to discover it. Right. And it was and in the speech I'm writing about my history where I wished mm -hmm. I had had that kind mm -hmm. of nurturing because I did have a lot of demons and obstacles. Unlike you, my family was constantly saying, "Oh, you can't do that." Mm. Oh. No, 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 no. You can't do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that seems typical of a lot of people's upbringing. Mm. They always have someone telling them that they should do something a certain way and maybe they don't end up going after their dreams and or pushing farther in something that they really enjoy doing it's 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 like just the other day I, I, I have a new challenge for myself um, I've decided that I probably will not dance with the, my company anymore in, in terms of like dancing with the company but I will um. make solos that could be presented. I mean, that may change, but mm -hmm. I'm really loving, loving being on the outside. Oh. So, but I was telling my husband that I, there's a 30 minute piece of music that somebody wrote for me and I was, I'm thinking of challenging myself to a half hour solo. <laughs> oh. And my husband said, oh, that'll be so boring. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, Did he mean for you or for the audience? No, for the audience. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I said, could you just, there might be a film in the, so I mean, maybe there's, you know, you don't know what I'm thinking of doing. Right. It's not good. It might not be just me moving, but it was just mm. that automatic, oh, you can't do that. Mm. Right? Yeah. It's just, how could you do that? A 30 minute solo. He just immediately judged it. Yeah. That's very typical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And he's pretty supportive. <laughs> um, well, and based on what's been done before, too, mm. I think so many of us are afraid to break boundaries and unwritten rules. If you think about it, I guess in the dance world, the longest time you might normally watch, sit and watch a, a single piece, you could think of it as maybe an act to a ballet, mm. right? And that will contain multiple solos and multiple variations and multiple duets. And I wonder if I've ever seen a 30-minute solo. I think it's a great there idea to challenge yourself to it. solos for an hour. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are solo yeah. shows. Uh, and they can be pretty amazing. Yeah, mm -hmm. but it, it it would be it's it will be if if I do do it, it will be extremely challenging because that yeah. that is something I'm very conscious of. Like I'm not into like I don't care what the audience thinks, and mm. not that I'm dictated by the audience either. Mm. But uh, I would. It would just be interesting, like, yeah. like yeah. what what can you do in thirty minutes to actually sustain something that's going to be interesting and powerful? And oh, that's great. Yeah, and I, I like that you're taking the approach of exploring with the audience in mind, mm. and how it'll be interesting. So, you were talking a little bit about working with this woman, and it sounded. Like sounded like she had a lot of influence for you in developing the GIMP project. Um, tell us how you work with your dancers and how you're really looking for the possibilities and the way that they work and what kind of right. attributes that you look for. So the GIMP project, I, I, think, I, I think it's important to define why I use GIMP in the title of this work. It is a body of work that features both disabled and non-disabled performers. Uh, GIMP, you know, is known for most people as a derogatory term, mm -hmm. like somebody who walks with a limp, right? Mm -hmm. So 
we did a lot of research for the word, and, and the word actually means fighting spirit and vigor. It means interwoven fabric. So like when I was a kid, I would make these bracelets out of gimp. It means trembling with ecstasy. It also means the slang is somebody who walks with a limp. And one of the first disabled performers I worked with would wear these, you know, crazy T-shirts, like, you know, if, um, let's get ready to stumble, you know, like, let's get ready to rumble, but yeah. let's get ready to stumble. <laughs> you know, if you keep staring at me, I might just do a trick. And then he came in with the T-shirt gimp. And that, that's mm -hmm. when, that's where, the, that's where it came from. And we had a long conversation about why. And he, he said it was a preemptive strike. Like, I know I walk funny, so I'm acknowledging when you look at me and you think I look, I'm walking funny, I'm acknowledging the fact that I do know that. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. And it started changing even the peace gimp, because it started to become for me this idea of being watched, watching, you know, that there's an empowerment in watching people watch you and what you, how you present yourself, mm -hmm. which started to really influence gimp. Okay. Um, you know, the way I work with people with disabilities, just kind of the way I work with all my dancers, a little different in that initially anyway, the source material was from my body because I became a choreographer selfishly because I love to dance and I love to move and I love to invent movement and then see it in all different permutations and then problem solve and work space. I mean, all that stuff, right, that makes mm -hmm. a choreographer. But it was always coming from me because I feel like I'm still a dancer first. Hmm. Even now. Interesting. Okay. Um, I identify as a dancer. I, 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 just in every way. So when I worked with Lisa, clearly she had no, so she had no lower legs and no fingers. She's not going to be able to do what I could do. Mm -hmm. So the first day I came in with an arm phrase. You know, it seemed pretty simple to do where I could just start watching her to see what she how she would respond um, and she was wearing her prosthetics and it, it was okay I, I wasn't really sure what I'd never done this before so I didn't know what I was doing and I but I came in the next day and watched her from the door and she wasn't wearing her prosthetics and she was just moving through the space and I was watching her and I went oh my god because her back was like like a snake do you know what I mean? Like it was so beautiful to watch. And I walked in and I said, okay, we're going to start on the floor. I don't want you wearing your prosthetics. And I only found out six months later that that was really hard for her because her prosthetics were her safety, mm -hmm. her security. And I took it away. But and she was she such didn't a protest. She, she did not. Mm -hmm. And we made a whole solo without her prosthetics. And, wow. and it, so, so I, I remember I left the studio and I had a very good friend who's a vocal coach who was living with me at the time. He was staying with me. We had a long talk and I said, you know, I'm not afraid of this. Mm -hmm. I'm finding this so interesting. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't know how he'd respond, you know, I mean, it's, it's intimidating to make choreography, period. Yeah. It's intimidating to work one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. with a dancer. And then you're working with a dancer with an atypical body. Like, I really didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I, I just fell in love with her. I fell in love with it. 
And I kept thinking, okay, now what if I do more? And then, of course, with every dancer who came in with a different disability, and they did, it was a different physicality to work with, which meant I had to start all over. Mm -hmm. You know, when Jerron came, my friend Sean Curran had seen him in a class and said, you got to work with this guy. He's such a great mover. And I think I... I don't remember what I had you do. I gave you some instruction, and mm-hmm. then I just gave it up. I said, okay, just improvise. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> just improvise. Right. Because Sean like, had yes. said you were such a good improviser. So, And while I was watching him, I went, okay, this is it. Yeah. I could see that there was so much movement in his body that was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because of my ligamentous laxity, you have it because mm. one side mm-hmm. is more stable right. and the other side becomes very loose. There's so much joint movement mm-hmm. that he does naturally that most of my dancers work so hard oh. to get to. Mm. Okay. But Jerron had it naturally. So so you see, it's it's different. Yeah. It's even with, even with my trained dancers, like the dancers who've been training since they were three... Um, a lot of it is is taking that training, getting it out of their bodies. Right. Yeah. Not not out of their bodies, but getting to the fundamentals and training them to drop the image of being a dancer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and really finding out who they are in the movement. Okay. So a lot of right. breath work, you know. So the, there's challenges with every dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jerron, do you want to tell us how this evolved for you and? how you discovered dance? Yeah. Um, like like Heidi said, I met her friend Sean Curran, who's also a choreographer, mm-hmm. uh, dance maker, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he he pretty much harassed me when I first <laughs> met him. <laughs> wow. Because he was so adamant about me meeting Heidi. and How did he see you dance, if you're not a dancer? Yeah, that's a great question, because I was... I came to, to, to do writing. I came to the city to, to become a writer, oh. playwriting, and maybe television, too. I wanted to be in the, the writer's room for NBC, you know, for uh, SNL or whatnot. And, um, <laughs> still a dream. <laughs> right, still a dream. For me, for sure. Sure. <laughs> it's a huge uh, dream. So I, I'd done a lot of theater internships, and one of the biggest ones that I had during my sophomore year, my sophomore summer of college, that's okay, uh, was at the New Victory Theater, where Sean was a teaching artist for dance. Oh. So they had this really awesome two different kinds of rooms were holding theater or intensives for theater teachers and dance teachers hmm. to implement uh, implement the art form into their curriculum. So <laughs> all the interns, apprentices, flocked to the theater room because that was in their bodies, and so they needed more help in the dance room. And I, again, you know, with this this air, this 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 heart of improv I just went through to the dance room and that's where Mm. Sean had me do all of their the teachers uh, exercises and prompts and I was just with them for the week and by Friday he had told me to kind of crystallize a a solo and then also call Heidi (laughs) during my lunch break (laughs) by the way uh, mm-hmm. Couldn't eat until I got a dance career. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so then when I when I joined Heidi, I I learned so much. It was yeah. a crash course 
because I was still a student. I was still in college, and I wasn't studying dance. And so to the, the, the two lives that I led for the two years I was still in college were ecstatic and, and frenzied and beautiful because I'd have to run from philosophy class to rehearsal and oh then gosh. probably come, you know, change and go back to, to class. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember one, one weekend we got invited to Boston and we had to be on the Amtrak at, on, on Friday and my roommate didn't know that I was leaving that weekend. And so we're on halfway to, to Boston, he texts me, he says, where are you? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm performing, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you because I've never done this before. Um, so, yeah, so just this whole Exciting. life became uh, became in, in the forefront of my life so quickly. That's really and it doesn't sweet. seem like, I don't know how I lived without it, really. Well, you've embraced it. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, it took a while. Yes. But then... To actually see you evolve, yeah. especially in this last year, right? I agree. In this last year, it's been huge, huge leap. Hmm. Yeah. He's immersed now. Yeah. Now we got him. <laughs> yes. Oh, you dancers. Yes. <laughs> so, um, do you, I guess, do you have a disability? Oh, yes. Sort? Yeah, I do have mm-hmm. uh, hemiplasia, cerebral palsy. Okay. So that's what Heidi was referring to when she okay. said that I have hypermobility on one side. Hemiplasia is a condition that limits the left side of your body or the right side depending upon what side you have so there's one side that is static pretty much uh because synaptic nerves don't travel quickly enough to my to the side of the brain to the side of the body and the mess and the messages don't travel as quickly and there's misfiring and so that leads to spasticity and and another condition called dystonia which is uh spasticity on extreme so yeah so I, I i i deal with two halves of my body where one is in- incredibly involuntary and the other one is in my control mm-hmm. so when we're when we're creating dance it mm-hmm. is such a roller coaster for me to uh one of the one of the biggest challenges i think as a dancer is mm-hmm. for me is consistency uh, uh, like for the choreography, yes. executing it the same way. Yeah. So I yell at him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and for a long time, I, was, I I wanted to use the excuse that I don't have consistency. Uh, and I would tell her, like, well, I can't really do this, or I can't, mm-hmm. like, that doesn't really work that way. But as we went through it, we we figured out, we problem solved, we troubleshooted, oh. we troubleshot oh. how how it could work. And we really discovered okay. that, yes. And I think that a lot of, the, a lot of my... A lot of my physical therapy growing up, there was a lot of stock things that I had to do. I had to mm. work with blocks. I had to work with squeezy balls and strengthen, strengthening on medicine balls and all these different things. Mm-hmm. That and, 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 and though we 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 we're not therapy. This isn't mm-hmm. dance therapy. Mm-hmm. There, the side effects are therapeutic. Are oh, definitely. Uh, and not just for me though, for everyone because I'm part of an ensemble as well, and we do that with. Uh, Alexandria, and we do that with right, but it's mm-hmm. so different for like you know. The other day, Meredith was doing you know she's she's the probably the most skilled ballet person mm-hmm. in the room, and she's she yeah she's technically fantastic, and she was going into her double pirouette, and she kept throwing herself off, mm. and she does that a lot, and so we had to you know I had to kind of rein her in. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people, I have to pull them out, so it's it's mm-hmm. not really that different, right? Um, 
because when you're when you're unlike when you're in class you know when you're in rehearsal you, you you are trying to get the image that you want to get the movement quality that you want so you know you're just exploring that and it all comes down to technique mm. yeah. and how or how you use your body as efficiently as possible and make mm -hmm. you know one of the things i learned with jerron for instance is that if i focus him on his right arm mm. Mm -hmm. really stretching it long, his whole body falls into place. Oh. I have a new dancer wow. who is deaf, and the other day I just told her to lift her chin because she kept retracting it, and she was getting very stiff in her movement, and as soon mm -hmm. as she lifted her chin, it made a huge difference. Right. So now I'm just going to keep telling her to lift a chin. <laughs> yeah. But I love how in tune you are with each individual dancer. You're really pulling out their their attributes, but also, as you said, reining them in and giving corrections, almost like it's not just choreography that you're providing, but you're also providing lessons on technique, and you're looking for the fixes and exploring ways to work with each individual dancer. And that really is the hallmark of a great choreographer, working with everyone individually but, like that. I mean, they are your paint, right? It's your paint. People, that's what makes it so such a difficult art form in that, because you can get very frustrated with your paint. So a painter can like throw the painting out or a painter mm. can like, you know, throw the red out or whatever. But when you're working with people, and and you're trying to whatever you have in your head, you know, it's like you're trying to get them to interpret it that way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, what I'm and, and and this is particular to me, I don't think it makes me a better choreographer at all. But I think, unlike maybe some choreographers who are really interested in the dancer dancer part, mm -hmm. I've always been interested in the human. Mm -hmm. I always want to see the person dancing. I find mm -hmm. it, it, it's very satisfying to me when I see somebody really vulnerable mm -hmm. or very fierce. Yeah. You know, I have a dancer now who's back at school. He's getting his master's. And he came into rehearsal for like the first time or the second time. And it was like another person. He was dancing his toshi off. Mm -hmm. Like I've never, he's got a lot of energy, but I haven't seen him move that way in a few years. He was just mm. giving it everything. And I said to him, Greg, you look amazing. Mm. And it was like, he was loving it. You know, it, mm. now it's his little respite, right? Now mm -hmm. he's in school, whereas before it was his work. Right. right. We were rehearsing hmm. a lot more and mm -hmm. it wasn't unique. It wasn't exciting. Now it's like, wow, I'm dancing and he's eating up the space. Oh, great. So I don't even have to give him a correction. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like yeah. he's yeah. just doing it. Yeah. Now the challenge is going to be to keep him doing that because mm -hmm. right. it's easy yeah. to lose. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started working with uh, people who have disabilities and I guess non-typical dancer body types and when you're working with them? Whether you have to mo kind of modify choreography for different people in a way, or if they're all doing the yeah, same well, thing. Yeah, like I said, it, 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 you have to because sure. if you're working with real, you know, you're working with different physicalities. Mm -hmm. So if when I was working, when I was doing GIMP, 
the original cast. I made everything with the original cast. It was a full evening work. And then I had to replace somebody. Oh, wow. Well, so I replaced this one woman who has a very, very she was a, an ice skater, Ooh. and she was very strong, but she has a very, like a serpentine arm. So it's an unusual short, short arm okay. that kind of tapers to like a digit. And mm. I got a woman instead who uses crutches. Mm -hmm. Well, I had to re-choreograph totally the solo. Yeah. I had to completely change it, but retaining the essence and change it. Um, you know, I got into it, I think partly we go back, right? I have a mm -hmm. psychology degree, so I was interested in... I was always interested in individualism. Like, I'm not a fem. I'm I'm kind of a feminist, or an. Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly have. I fall into certain categories that I have to fight for. Sure. Um, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> but Canadian. but but really, I believe in the power of the individual and the beauty of difference. And mm -hmm. so, when I got into Bill's company, that was. A very, you know, in, instructional environment for me, where I, I all of a sudden saw that dance didn't necessarily wasn't necessarily didn't have to be pretty and physical. It, it could also have social impact, and it it could be diverse. and And then Lawrence Goldtuber and I, and he was the big guy in in Bill's company at the time. Um, we created a duet company, and so that was really obvious, like big guy little woman yeah right and that yeah. was so I was and then I taught movement for actors so I was trying to understand how to bring actors into their bodies really mm -hmm. like for real not pretend not trying to be a character just be who they are sure and so it was a natural extension of that it wasn't mm -hmm. something I was looking for okay I never thought I would have done it huh Lisa was introduced to me by uh, my producer. He became my producer, Jeremy Alliger. And that's when things really shifted for me because in her, I really found a muse. Oh. Okay. Um, just like Jerron. You uh -huh. become a muse. Did Gimp follow from, from there, from Lisa? Lisa was uh, Five Open Mouths I made 2006. And then I had such a great time doing it. And, it, and I mean great time, that was a ha-ha fun. But it, it was fun, but it was also so intense. Mm. And I had such a learning curve, and that was so exciting to me, yeah. to be learning mm. about a new community, mm -hmm. you know, a new, there was so, so challenging. So it was very stimulating for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I thought, I really liked the solo, and so I went, what can I do this with somebody else? And so I brought this, I had met a lot of people with disabilities through Lisa, and one of them who I found, you know, really charismatic and fun was Lawrence Carter Long, who's now in Washington. He's a disability advocate. Mm -hmm. He's working in the government. Okay. And I invited him in. He's a media expert, so I invited him in to work with me, and he thought I was asking him to help us with media. I said, no, 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 no. I, I, I kind of wanted to bring you into rehearsal. Would you be interested? Mm. And because he's, he's such an advocate and an activist, and he, he started thinking that he had been taught, he has cerebral palsy, but he was one of Jerry Lewis's telethon oh. babies. Mm. 
Oh, like, what do you call them? Poster child. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. and, and he had been taught that his body was broken right. and needed to be fixed. And then eventually, like, couldn't be fixed. So he said he lived up in his head. So he was wow. very interested in seeing what I would do with him and what, what, what the challenge would be. And the first thing I did was I started working with him. And then I have my associate director at the time, Jeffrey Fries, is like this little powerhouse muscle guy. And I was working simultaneously on a solo for Fries and a solo for Lawrence. And I had a dream <laughs> that they were together and they were walking down towards the audience and they were punching the air. And I got up the next morning and I made them a duet. Mm -hmm. I put oh, wow. the two solos together mm -hmm. and it was called Two Men Walking. Mm -hmm. And I have to say it's it's one he Jerron did a it. Piece. It's one of my favorite part. duets. Mm -hmm. It was uh, and that was the beginning of GIMP because oh, okay. so we made this duet and then a friend of Lawrence's, Leslie Fry, was like, I wanna I wanna I wanna dance. Mm. You know, so mm -hmm. all of a sudden people were coming to me, and then we started reaching out, and then Lawrence's girlfriend came into it, um, and that's how GIMP started. Wow. wow. I just love everything you're saying because we've talked so much about how dance is more accessible to more people than we would expect, but you're opening it up to people who... It, like you say, I'm sure haven't even thought about using their body, who haven't thought about or been taught that they could leverage the power of dance, that they could ever feel that. Right. And that they still have this spark that you're looking for um, mm -hmm. and the ability to, to love dance as well. I mean, I think it's just so wonderful to get them into their bodies the way you're right, saying. Right, but remember, mm -hmm. that's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I was a he I was yeah. a head case, right? I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was a little academic, and there was mm -hmm. a part of me that went, you know, this is not going to. You need something else, but n everyone said I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents practically like disowned me. Seriously, they wow. they they did not. Nobody understood how somebody my age, you know, with with my background, the whole bit could make mm -hmm. this kind of a choice. So I also feel like my journey was somewhat similar. I mean, yeah, it's right. completely, it's, it's not, right? you got to find those touchstones. It. It's like but it's a touchstone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a touchstone. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. a point of Eventually. connection, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Even though very different experiences. Sure. Um, but I think partly because I went through it, I'm more intuitive around it. Right. Because it was part of, it was very, you know, challenging for me to be a dancer. It still mm -hmm. is. Sure. Yeah. So when I think of your work, I am reminded of a piece I saw a couple of years ago by Jerome Bell at New York Live Arts. And I remember he presented, I believe it was a company of individuals with various um, learning disabilities and intellectual yes, and developmental disabilities. Mm -hmm. And some of them, you know, looked visibly like they had Down syndrome. Um, others looked like dancers or um, theater performers, whatever that looks like. But it, there was nothing noticeable um, that was different about them. Um, and I remember sitting in the audience and I just started to question, 
everything, like all of my assumptions about, you know, um, who should be on stage and who shouldn't be on stage. Um, you know, how do we, who gets to decide what is virtuosic and what isn't? What is better than this? What is not? Who gets to perform? And I really love that I left that piece just questioning more rather than leaving with um, a definitive statement of, oh, this is what this piece was about. And how have audiences embraced your work? And do you give your audiences clues and how to view your work? And um, generally, what kind of response have you received? I say generally, I mean, you know, the responses that I get, the feedback that we get after a show is usually pretty positive. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it challenges a lot of people, and I've certainly... There's so, there's so much feedback that we get because one of our missions is, is I, 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 will not t I don't like talking about the work before people see it. As a matter of fact, I think talking mm -hmm. about the work does not do it, the work justice. I think mm -hmm. people really need to see it to understand it because they don't have a clue. Right. You know, I remember telling a presenter years ago that I, you know, I, I had a physically integrated company and his first thing, he just made an assumption that everybody was a wheelchair user. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's Which is not true. But that's a very extreme. common misperception when you say, because there, it is true, there's a history of dance companies when they're physically integrated that there are wheelchair users. There are, mm. you know. Okay. Um, we don't have that. We, I've, I, I have had some wheelchair users, but we, we have all kinds of physicalities present on stage. Mm -hmm. But there are many, many preconceived notions. So what you, what we get are, you know, how, like that was, you know, initially when I watched the, sh started watching the show, all I saw were the the unconventional bodies, and by the end, I saw none of that. Right. Mm -hmm. It just became like uh, like dance to me. Mm -hmm. um, it, it wasn't a distinguishing factor even. We've, I've gotten flack certainly for calling my. The GIMP project, the GIMP project. Really, people gave you a hard time. Well, like about one that. guy at Rutgers, a student said, "Well, isn't it like you calling your piece the N word?" Hmm. Which was really shocking yeah. to me, but it's true. And and my dancers, thankfully, were there, and my disabled dancers, and mm -hmm. you know, said, "You know, this is a collaboration." Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Heidi is the choreographer. That's her role. Mm -hmm. You know, we're the interpreters. But yeah. we all we make decisions together, and that is true. Mm -hmm. We I'm very it's very important. There's you know, I go by the Disability and Dance Task Force motto of nothing without us. I think it's really mm -hmm. important that if I'm working with people with disabilities and I am not disabled, that it is very important that it is collaborative right. sure. all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, I've had people tell me that I'm that not saying, well, you're exploiting them directly. Nobody's told me that. But, well, aren't you going to be accused of being exploitative? Oh. And that was another mm -hmm. interesting comment because I brought that back to my dancers. This mm -hmm. is in 2009, right? And mm -hmm. one of the dancers got so angry. And she said, you know, yeah. that comment assumes that we have no choice. That we're yes. not here because we want to be here. Right. Right. And you're forcing us hmm. to do this. 
Nobody's mm -hmm. forcing us to do this. We right. this is a choice of ours. So there's no exploitation here. Of course. Um, I wouldn't. I mean, I feel like anyone who would ask that too has to not have experienced how liberating dance is and oh, feels. Oh, this, this is a, a, a dance it. person. Wow, who's been <laughs> in the shocking. field a long time? <laughs> You'd be surprised. Mm. You know, there, there's. We've been. We talk a lot. There's a lot of misunderstanding around disability, and there's right. a lot of, I think, ingrained weird stuff, you know, like yeah. things that come out, uh, uh, the, the perceptions and that people have, especially as it relates to dance, definitely. especially dancers who are, like, consumed with their body right. and training and trying to attain the perfect technique, maybe not the perfect body, but the perfect technique, you know, mm -hmm. and this is really throwing a wrench into the dedication, right? Those years, I was right. like that. I had no interest because of what I was trying to attain as a dancer. That was such a struggle mm -hmm. for me. Why would I want to watch somebody with a disability on stage? Or uh, Because, I mean, this is dance for me, and dance mm -hmm. for me was all about, you know, the virtuosity right. Right. of technique. Mm -hmm. It sounds like right. you still focus to some extent on a, a standard of your own for virtuosity. Tell us a little bit about how you approach casting or recruiting. Do you have the idea that everybody has something to bring to the table and should be celebrated, or are you pretty specific, specific in what you're looking for? I don't believe that everybody should be on stage. Okay. I don't believe, yes, I'll say that because I, it's been written that Absolutely. I do, and I don't. Um, my, I am a choreographer, mm -hmm. and I need to be inspired. Great. So I need to, I need to be interested. Mm -hmm. I, I need to be, without getting misconstrued, turned on, you know, like, yeah. wow, <laughs> wow, what if, like, I want, I want, I want, what if he did that, or what if she did that, and yeah. so I want, to get excited about who I'm working with. And I don't know what that means. That, that, that's like, mm -hmm. it's, it, it could be that somebody, it, it happens, it comes in all forms, in other words. Yeah. Sometimes mm -hmm. I see a dancer who is so technically exquisite that I, I mean, I'm enamored. Mm -hmm. Right or has a mm -hmm. body that their limbs are just go on forever like a Landis, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. you just look at this facility and I just want to get in there and play, yeah. right? <laughs> then somebody might come and have the most stunning internal focus that pulls me into their world, mm. and I want to do that too, mm -hmm. right? right? So it's it's. There's no type, in other words. I don't think I have a type. No. Well, you I do think have a litness, I will say. You twitch when you're really feeling someone. Oh. That is true. Oh, I love that. That is true. Well, I think that's the answer to people who would question, probably in their heads, why would I come see this show with dancers who aren't what I expect to see? I love that you're still curating and there's still something fascinating about these dancers that you see. There's a, something right. they're offering. It is so important that we get away from the medical model. This mm. is not sentimental. Mm. This is not a pity piece. This is not like, oh, community. Oh, look, mm. you know, look yeah. how wonderful we all are. We're all dancing together. It's 
such a beautiful uh, piece about humanity. No, 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 I'm not interested in that. My work is dark. My work can be very dark. It's very intense. Yeah. It's, not, it's not heavy, right? It's not no. negative. But what I mean is, like, I'm not, I'm not a big happy ever after. I'm, I, I don't believe in it. I don't see it very often in life. So to me, yeah. there's always edge. There's always an edge. There's always a humanity's complex. So mm -hmm. if I'm going to, when I make work, I'm trying, whether I succeed or not, mm -hmm. to show the complexity of any situation. So there's a lot of juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want people to come thinking that this is a humanitarian effort because this is not. Mm -hmm. it, this right. is art. I'm trying to make the best, most provocative, most beautiful art that I can. And it seems like you are, based on what people have written about your pieces in the past, that it hits an emotional, visceral, and intellectual plane, which is very hard for an artist to do, to cover all of those areas. Yeah. We try. <laughs> all of what you're saying about the visceral, emotional qualities of the dancers and the dance really reminds me of only one show I've seen in my life, which is L.E.V. Uh, we saw them at Jacob's Pillow. Mm -hmm. And the dancers were, there was just such an intense physicality about their movement, which mm. I'd never seen before. And I had no idea what I was supposed to feel. But I walked out completely blown away, and I'll never forget how I felt, even in the fog of confusion after I left the, the theater. It was some kind of visceral emotion on my part. It wasn't a distinct emotion, but I was totally blown away. And uh, it sounds like you're doing that as well, using the physicality to convey something, um, some, something so deep to the audience that they might not know what it is in right. a way. Have I mean, we're... We're trying. I think yeah. sometimes it's not as raw as I would like it to be. Yeah. Because um, mm. as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, oh, I got to make a raw piece. I got to, <laughs> we got to get down and dirty. We do. That's the next piece. <laughs> yeah. I, so this year, the 25th anniversary of the ADA, and oh. um, yeah, so it's. To say what that is. I'm sorry, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Oh, yeah. So uh, passed in 1990, so right before I was born, which is so interesting to me, that I'm kind of under this umbrella that I had no idea preceded me or gave me rights, but yet I operate within it. Um, but it's so important that we show all the elements to this very uh, untapped part of society. Um, and I think that it's the time we've been doing a lot of work like well, on display is is such a um, important piece because it touches on what we know to be like museum and high art, and it mm -hmm. it pushes that forward by adding the audience and giving people the same kind of space to to operate and to question. Yeah. Uh, so it's I just love it as a it's 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 just a great. Um, what do you call forum, I think, mm -hmm. for us and for the audience, too. And to on display around. is what you're doing on the 15th? Yeah. Again? In the lobby. In okay. the lobby. And then we have, uh, we have two pieces that will be performed with oh, okay. access on the stage. And that's mm -hmm. where 
It's pretty physical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, tell us more about those two pieces. So solo one is a solo for me from a 28-minute piece called Solo Counter Solo. And it's, um, I, I, I really like <laughs> staying on a spot. I'm really enamored with uh, the dynamic of not being able to, not moving in space, but having to use your whole body to create energy and dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so th this is a solo to an original score by Chris Brierley, who I worked with for a very long time. He's, he's a, an English composer. And it's, uh, it's intense. Mm -hmm. It's kind of intense. Like people have, you know, it's, it's like I'm erupting or it gets mm. faster and faster. It gets, you know, it, it's intense. Mm -hmm. And, and interestingly, somewhere, which originally was to Somewhere Over the Rainbow, all these eclectic, like wild versions of Somewhere Over the Rainbow yeah. and just a series of solos and duets. And my idea was to take this iconic song and spin it on its head and, you know, it can be very sen sentimental, mm -hmm. and 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 actually, it can be interpreted in so many different ways. So, using that song to show a yearning that is much more complex mm -hmm. than just you know mm -hmm. what some people think the song means. Mm -hmm. uh, but last year, I took the song away, and I had Jimena Borges, is a um, Venezuelan artist, composer, musician. Uh, and she created a whole different score, which is very percussive. I had to work really hard with her because it was not easy to take the work that I had made to Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and then we had to figure out, well, what's the essence of this piece? Oh. So there was an urgency and a yearning. That's what we kind of boiled it down to. And then she had, she had to work with me because I'm very... I know what I don't like. I don't often know what I like, but we had to make something that was simple enough but could support what we're doing. And in the reworking of it, Jaron Solo, which was to this very punky version, hmm. became the very last piece in Somewhere. And I always saw his solo mirroring my solo. So it's oh. going to be very interesting mm -hmm. In, even though my solo is separate from somewhere, I think it's going to be very interesting mm -hmm. to see, and I'm not sure how I'm going to light it yet, mm -hmm. how the even like the, our portion of the evening starts with my solo and then ends with his solo. I mean, it goes through all kinds of lots of different duets and solos. But. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, we probably have to wrap up now. Is there anything you want everyone to know before we finish? Website, promo, anything? Well, in your mind. Yeah. Okay. The website's com. Pretty easy. Um, and, you know, we really hope people come to Skirball. I think it's going to be... It's also the first time that East meets West. Axis is a very renowned company. I'm, I'm very in awe of them. And to be able to share the stage with them is going to, I think, going to be very interesting for audiences. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Great. Well, we'll have to see the show, and I hope everyone listening will see it as well. We will definitely post information on our Facebook page as it comes up, and uh, we'll get some information on our website too, uh, podada.com and podada on Facebook.
Thank you, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you Pie guys so much. Pat the cat. <laughs>